How's it going, everybody? Adrian here, and welcome back to the Gaming Observer Weekend Variety Show for Saturday, December the 18th. Hello, everybody. I hope you're extremely well, and thank you for your patience in my absence yesterday. Uh, today, I want to talk to you about a video game that I played recently, and which I am going to highly recommend that you play, called Inscription. Now, what I will say is that Inscription is one of those games that is kind of like the Outer Wilds, where you have to be very careful when you talk about it, because anything you might say could be a spoiler. Now, I'll make the promise to you I'm not going to spoil anything that is beyond the basic premise of the game and what appears in marketing materials, but just know that if you're going to research it further, you should be careful about how far you look into it, and, you know, if it seems like your kind of game, just buy it and play it. Okay, Inscription, what is it? Well, at its core, this is a card game. You, as the protagonist, are kind of stuck in a room with a very creepy man who is hiding in the shadows who acts kind of like a D&D dungeon master. He provides you with a deck of cards and a map where you have a little character that moves along a Slay the Spire-esque branching path, and it becomes a deck-building roguelike. On top of the deck-building elements, though, is this kind of escape room-style kind of overarching storyline. It's very light on the escape room stuff and... and probably optional, but still very interesting. I think the other thing you should know before you kind of dismiss it is that it is not completely a deck-building roguelike in the sense that it has a definitive end. There is a beginning, middle, and end of this game. And, you know, I spent nine hours with the game, got to the end of the storyline, and said, I'm happy with this. I don't need to play anymore. And, and this is coming from somebody who plays a lot of roguelikes and a lot of deck-builders and puts hundreds of hours into them. It's not really designed to be played like that. That being said, a lot of people loved this kind of deck building so much that they asked the creator to make it more endlessly replayable, and it seems as though they're going to be doing that. They just put out a beta branch, which allows it to be played that way, so that's pretty cool. I'm going to be trying that out soon. Now, as you might suspect with the way that I introed this game, there's a lot more going on than what I just described, but those things are best to be discovered by playing it. If you know anything about the creator of the game, Daniel Mullins, you know that he really likes to play with, like, meta storylines. So his previous games include Pony Island and The Hex. And these games did a lot of really funky stuff, like, like, used the actual files on your desktop in the game. Or they would break the fourth wall a little bit. It's a style of design that you do not really see a lot in video games. And I would say that in Inscription, it was done very, very, very well. It's also a game that I want to credit for being incredibly creative. It felt like every couple of minutes I was going, oh, that's, like, really cool. That's not something I would have expected. In particular, I think about, like, the boss fights that happen. Where, you know, in a card game you'll have a standard encounter, and then you'll have an encounter that's a little more specialized. Requires a little bit of forethought, and unique styles of gameplay. Uh, what I saw in this game in regards to boss fights were above and beyond, quite frankly. So well thought out, like I said, so creative, and incredibly thematically consistent, which can certainly be hard to do if you have a very strict rule system, right? If you have an idea for a theme that you want to implement into a game, it has to be built around the existing systems, and sometimes that can fail, but in this case, it all just fit together like a, a great jigsaw puzzle. Inscription is a game that wows and delights at every corner. Now, if the game was any longer... I might not have said that to you. I might have said, wow, it really overstayed its welcome. But because it's only 8 to 10 hours of gameplay, maybe a little longer if, if you're not quite so good at, at card games, 
I walked away saying, what an amazing game. Staying just as long as it needs to, right? And listen, folks, you might be listening to this and you might be saying, yeah, yeah, Adrian, you're the guy who loves indie games, you're the guy who loves card games and roguelikes. This is right up your alley. And yes, I will concede that, but I will also point you to the industry-wide praise that the game has received and tell you that you do not have to be a super fan of those genres in order to love this game. There's a lot going for it, and I highly encourage you to check it out. Especially because it's only like 20 bucks or something like that. Absolutely ridiculous. Okay, folks, that's about all the time I have. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's greatly appreciated. And because I couldn't do them yesterday, I would also like to thank our TGO producers, Anna Marie, Andrew, Anthony, Bernie, Emmanuel, Rail, Rodeth21, Red Flem, Rob Matsker, and Telesthesia. Big thanks to them, big thanks to you for tuning in, and until next time, happy gaming everyone. It's the TGO After Show. Hello and welcome. He- hello and welcome, my friends. Thanks for being here. Uh, you know what I've been doing. So, of course, the new Spider-Man movie has released. And for the first time, Shelby and I have decided we're going to go see that in theaters. I missed out on Avengers when it came out. I, like, binged-watched all of the Marvel movies in one summer during the pandemic. And I kind of regret that I had to do it that way because I really wish I could have seen Endgame in theaters. But nonetheless, um... I haven't really been convinced that I need to see the other Marvel movies in, in theaters just yet. I actually did see Black Widow in theaters, but that was just because I got a free ticket from a friend. And it was like the first big thing I had done post-pandemic, if you want to call it that. I mean, I can't really call it post-pandemic, but I isolated myself for a year and a half, and that was the, the first kind of public thing I had done outside of the grocery store. And first of all, I did not miss the movie theaters at all when it happened. And I was also like, man, Black Widow was not great, was it? I I did not enjoy that movie. I really wanted to enjoy that movie. When I saw the trailers, I was like, yeah, that's cool. And I think Black Widow is so cool and has such a dope backstory and they could have done so much with it. And I was not impressed with the film. But anyway, a few more movies have come out since then, right? What, there's been uh, Shang-Chi, which I still need to see and I'm very excited for. Uh, And then I guess there's been The Eternals, which I think was not super well received, unfortunately. And then we have been watching the television shows. We saw Loki, we saw Falcon and the Winter Soldier, WandaVision. But uh, anyway, Spider-Man movie is out now, and I know that they're doing a bunch of stuff. They're doing various crossover stuff. I mean, Doctor Strange is on the cover, the Green Goblin is on the cover, and I know Willem Dafoe is coming back, and I'm assuming a a bunch of other people. And we're like, screw it, you know, Spider-Man's our favorite. I think the Tom Holland Spider-Man films are, are very, very good. Let's go see it in theaters. So. We're going to go. But in preparation for that, I've decided to go and watch all of the old Spider-Man films as well. And that was a very interesting experience. So I, I watched the the Tobey Maguire trilogy today and yesterday. And those films are my childhood, right? Like I watched at least the first two on VCR or on, on VH, VHS tapes. I don't know about Spider-Man 3. I might have had that on DVD. But I watched them as a lot as a kid. Spider-Man was superheroes to me. I didn't watch any other superhero films. Maybe a little bit of Batman, where Jim Carrey was the Riddler, you know that one? And and Arnold Schwarzenegger was Mr. Freeze. I gotta go back and watch that, but... Oh, I, I, I did a little bit of Googling, and I'm now realizing those were two different movies, weren't they? The one with Mr. Freeze was George Clooney as Batman, in Batman and Robin. And then Jim Carrey as the Riddler was Val Kilmer, Kilmer as Batman, in Batman Forever. Uh-huh. Okay, well, I, I saw both of those. 
but that was it, you know? And so there was a lot of phrases in there that I was like, oh, that really unlocked something in, in the back of my brain. A lot of the music, I forgot how cheesy they were, I, I won't lie. And also I have a mad appreciation for J. Jonah Jameson. I think he played that character to perfection. And I'm very glad they managed to get him again for, uh, for the new films. But anyway, I watched him. I liked him. Spider-Man 3 was pretty meh, but, uh, it, you know, it is what it is. And then I'm going to go watch the Andrew Garfield ones as well, which I've actually never seen. I think I have seen the first one, but I remember literally nothing about it. Besides him, like, being in the sewers at some point. Couldn't tell you a single thing that happens in that movie. So I'll watch those just because I can. And then maybe Venom, the, the Venom reboots. That's, like, extra credit. And then we'll go watch Spider-Man. Ah, anyway. Hey, listen, I'm out of time. If you don't like Spider-Man, sorry. <laughs> That's what I chose to talk about today. Shout out to Tobey Maguire, who will forever be my Spider-Man. I'll talk to you tomorrow, folks. Farewell.